0: Hi, I'm Michael Morris. This broadcast is going to start a little differently than normal. This past Sunday, when we met, during our time of worship, there was a wonderful sense of God's presence. And as we were worshiping and singing our songs to Jesus, I felt the Spirit of God give unction. And I prayed a prayer that I believe contains... It's a prophetic prayer. It's a prayer to our spiritual family during this time and season... And so I wanted to start the broadcast today before we minister the Word by playing you a portion of our worship time together where I was praying under and the unction of the Holy Spirit. I pray that not only will this prayer bless you, but it will create in you an excitement uh, and an expectation for what God is wanting to do in and through the season that we are, are entering into as a spiritual family. As you continue and you listen to the Word it's, it's amazing how God expounds on that even further and begins to build on that. So I'd like to say to you, be excited because the Spirit of God is at work. There are wonderful things that God is going to lead us into or desires to lead us into if we are willing to yield and to follow. So enjoy this message. Enjoy our time of worship. And I pray that the Spirit of God will speak to you as you listen. God bless you. The Lord is saying, I am opening eyes. I am opening ears. I am revealing myself in greater measure. I am giving out understanding today. Mercy, grace, revelation, knowledge. Thank you, God, for the season that we are in. It's a spirit-led season, Father. You're bringing us to it and you're taking us through it where our hearts are being aligned afresh to Jesus. And I want to thank you that in this time of worship, things are shifting in the heavenlies. Things are shifting in our hearts. Things are shifting in our minds, Lord God. Thank you that you are realigning priorities. Thank you that by your Spirit, you are breathing on us, Father. We receive it because we are unable to change without you. So I thank you, wonderful helper, for your presence here this morning. Thank you for what you are doing. We heal to you. We open our hearts to you, Jesus. say, come, fill us afresh. Open our minds, open our eyes, unclog our ears, Lord God. Thank you for your divine presence in this place today. Thank you for every gift here present, for every calling, for every destiny, God. You are unlocking things. You are unlocking potential. You are unlocking dreams. It's a time where the Spirit of God is coming upon us to impregnate us with dreams from God, with desires from God that will lead to destinies that will touch many, many lives. What a promise, Father. What a word. What a blessing. Press into you, Jesus. We press into you this morning. So sing the song one more time. really believe that we are in a season where God is unlocking new things in our hearts and lives, new destinies, new callings, new dreams, things that perhaps are being resurrected, things in our hearts that we knew were there all along but have grown dormant. We've kind of forgotten about them because life has happened and we've just carried on and, and that sort of thing. But whenever God calls people back to Himself, whenever he, he draws us near to Himself, it's because He wants to fill us with more of Himself. When God asks us to lay something down, it's never because He wants to punish us or because He wants us to go without. It's because He's always got something more, something better. And when we come to God with the attitude and the mindset that we are His people, yes, we are His children, but we are not just children for the sake of being children, because God has made us children of destiny, children of impact. Children who are carriers of His heart to a dying and hurting world. And within you and I resides this incredible hope that the reality of that which we have found in Jesus will grow not only in us, but through us to the world around us. And sometimes we need to be reminded of this. Amen? Sometimes we forget and sometimes we even get lost from that way of thinking. We enter into pursuits and we get caught up in things that kind of quenches all of that and and kind of puts it deep down inside of us. And sometimes we reach a place where we realize, where am I? Where is this love that I used to have for Jesus? Where where is that gone? There was a passion. There was joy in being in church together. There was joy for the Word of God. I loved the Bible. Where's that love gone? Where's this love and the passion that I used to have To be in the altar of God, worshiping with all my heart, pouring myself out. Where where is that? From time to time, God brings us into spaces, even like this morning where His presence is thick and it's real and we sense Him. And that wonderful peace and that call where He just holds us really near and reminds us of His love. And we kind of think, where where has this been? Where has this been in my life for so long? This should be my every day. This should be the place from which I live and I do love. We're currently, as I've mentioned to you, church, over the past couple of weeks, in a prophetic season of beautiful repentance. Beautiful repentance. A turning of our hearts back to the beauty that is Jesus. And that as we reflect on that, it, it, it begins to take hold in our hearts. I want to do a brief time of... Uh, spend a few minutes just recapping on where we've been the journey so far, so that we carry on on the same train of thought. We started off this journey looking at the book of Malachi and also looking at the letter that, that Jesus wrote to the church in Laodicea concerning both of them, the state of their hearts, both of whom were oblivious to what was really going on with, within their hearts. And the, uh, the realization and the, the catch phrase, if you like, is that God doesn't need convincing of what needs to happen in our life. We do. It's not God who needs convincing to come or that He's kind of out there and we're begging Him to come into our situation. God doesn't need convincing. We do. We need convincing of the true spiritual condition of our heart. We need convincing of our need for Jesus. Because sometimes we sort of go at it without Him, as though we don't need Him. We need convincing of our utter depravity apart from Jesus, that in us dwells no good thing. And all of this comes as we become more and more convinced of God's great love for you and for me. We said that the essence of repentance was simply a sincerity of heart that acknowledges the truth and a willingness in that acknowledgement to turn our hearts and change and be obedient according to that truth. As we've said, that any authentic change towards godliness in your life or mine cannot come through our self-effort. It cannot come through, all right, I'm now going to do better and I'm going to follow these laws and these rules. We bring ourselves back under bondage as soon as we do that. Any authentic change of our heart or our spiritual condition towards God and towards Christ's likeness comes only through the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. We are utterly dependent on Him. You didn't bring yourself to salvation. You can't do it, but you can yield to it. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you yielded to His work of salvation. And this is the purpose of this beautiful prophetic season of repentance. It's a pointing to Jesus, a reorientation to Jesus. And as I've said, this is something we do, it's a decision we make, and, and it's a once of decision, but it is worked out daily. It, it, it's a, there's, there's a process to this. There is a first step, but there is a process, and that takes time. And right now, last week and this week, we're looking at the role that you and I play in this journey, in this role of repentance. Last week, we spent some time looking at Psalm 24. Verses 3 to 6 say this, "...who may ascend the hill of the Lord?" Or in a New Covenant context, "...who may come into His presence? Or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully." This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face. So who are those who desire to come in? Well, who are those who have clean hands? Who are those who have a pure heart? It is those who have set their heart to pursuing Jesus. Because in the pursuit of Jesus, stuff has to fall off. Stuff has to be let go of. I had a teacher who once used a beautiful analogy. He said, God is carving you into the image of Jesus as if you're a raw piece of rock or a raw piece of wood. And every now and then he'll come with his chisel and go, Michael, this needs to go. And he'll hit it off. And that's sometimes painful. And quite, I, I actually quite liked that piece, God. And so we pick it up and we put it back again. Until we come to God and say, God, I want to come. I want more of you. He says, Right. I, I want you to have more of me. But then this has got to go. And until we let it be, until we let it go and say, all right, God, I'm actually not going to fight you on this one anymore. What is that fighting? That is the resistance of our hearts to what God is wanting to work in us. And God begins to come. It says, who's not lifted up his soul to an idol. What is an idol? An idol is something that holds a controlling influence over our lives. It doesn't have to be a statue. For many people, their idols are their children. Their whole lives revolve around their children. Well, their whole lives revolve around a sports team, which is quite funny now that all the games are closed. This was supposed to be a really good weekend for sport. Formula One was supposed to start. Football was back on. We were supposed to be playing India in the cricket. I mean, I was really... We won't go there. I've let it lie. I've let it be. An idol is something by which we make decisions that causes us to make decisions in a certain way. Our jobs can be an idol. Our spouses can be an idol. Anything that has a controlling influence of our heart, apart from God, is idolatry. And the unsatisfied heart, a heart that is not satisfied with Jesus, that hasn't been spending time in His presence, uh, that, that is not satisfied with His fullness, with His sacrifice, with everything that He is, it's like a breeding ground for idolatry. Because we will always find something that satisfies our needs. We will always go after that which brings us satisfaction. That's what it was it Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Hold on. I'll tell you now who, who talks about the cisterns. Who's that? Come on, people. Jeremiah. Is that Jeremiah? I think it's Jeremiah chapter two. Hmm. See, I've got a new Bible, and I knew exactly where it was in my old Bible. Sorry, 2:13. Here we go. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves broken systems that can hold no water. Thank you, Craig. In other words, when they were not satisfied with God, they didn't satisfy their hearts in the Lord, they ended up satisfying their hearts elsewhere. That's idolatry. When I find my sense of meaning, my sense of purpose and fulfillment outside of who God and what God says I am, I'm creating an idol. Siobhan said something profound this week. He said, Repentance is the act of destroying the idols we've spent a lifetime creating. And he's dead right. Isn't that powerful? Repentance is simply the dismantling of my idols, turning away from all that which has a controlling influence over my heart, and turning to Jesus. This question of who may ascend the hill of the Lord is a prophetic call to us to evaluate our hearts and to break down those idols that we've created. The catch, however, is that we are notoriously bad at doing that. So there's a call for us to do that, but the realization that we're really bad at it. Jeremiah 17:9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But David has the right approach. Psalm 139, 23-24, he says, Search me, God. Know my heart. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Isn't that beautiful? That's the journey of... That's a humble and a meek and a repentant heart. Our need for clean hands and pure hearts are the markers that point us towards Jesus. Remember, what is repentance? Just turning to Jesus again turning to Jesus again. When I'm fearful, Lord, I, 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 peer, I, I repent of that, of that fear and I turn to You. Turning to Jesus. I want to give you a little bit of personal testimony of something that's happened in my life over the past few weeks. I generally consider myself to be quite a handy guy. I'm fairly good with my hands. I can build things. I can fix things. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty handy. I'm not great. I'm no macgyver but but i can do some basic stuff but recently my my ego has been seriously dented in this area and i'm seriously my self-confidence in in mr fix it has really taken a big dip let me give you some examples a little while ago she telephoned me to come and help her fix a window latch just on the window there was a window latch that wasn't secured properly and in the process of fixing a window latch i broke the window You feel like a real egghead when you, when you do something like that. My woodwork in my house, my window frames and doors, are in need of some varnishing and some fixing. So I had a company come in and give me a quote. And when I got the quote, I phoned I said, this just ain't going to do it. I understand that it's a lot of work, but this is way above and beyond what I think. So while I appreciate your quote, and I understand you've got a whole team of guys to pay, I think I'll take this on myself. So the first thing I took on was my garage door, which is a fairly simple, straightforward, solid wooden door. And one day I thought this would take about two or three hours, you know, just to give a light sand and, and, and varnish. And seven hours later, I was finishing varnishing by lamplight in the dark because what I assumed would be a pretty straightforward job. Boy, geez louise. Man. Then a little while ago, with all these power cuts that have been happening, at the, I, I get SMSs from the alarm company saying the power's gone out. And, and what's been happening is, uh, a little while later, you know, I didn't try and fix the power cuts. That would be a little, that would be overestimating my abilities in a huge way. Okay, that, that problem's a little big for me. I do know that one. But when, what, I, what, I, what I knew worked. What, what was happening is that a couple of hours maybe three hours i was getting a battery low signal from from sms in other words with the abundance of power cuts the battery is not having time to charge itself enough to maintain so i know what i've done at home before and so i I went out and bought a new battery i bought the cables i bought the clips everything i'm just going to come and wire a dual battery system so that it can last the duration so i did i rocked up at the church i came with my stuff we opened the cabinet. And boy, is it a crow's nest in there. So I took some cables and lifted them to try and insert the battery. And as I lifted them, the, the panic alarm went off. The system was clearly scared of what I was about to do. It was going into a state of panic. So I thought, this is very strange. So a second time, I li- oh gosh, it does it again. All right. Now I'm worried. Now what if I do put this in and there's a battery? and I've, I've short, I don't, If I short the whole thing, is going to... Okay, never mind. I'll have to get somebody to come help me with this. And the last thing that happened was last week, I went, I went to go and fit a light fitting. Now, I've fitted dozens of light fittings before. I actually quite enjoy the job. I think it's quite fun. Take out the old, and you put in new light, new lighting. I really enjoy it. That's quite an easy job. I understand the wiring. I understand the process. I've done dozens of light fittings in my life. So I went to install a light fitting, but there was something new about this job. I've I've installed a number of light fittings into ceilings. I've never installed a light fitting into somebody else's floor because that was now the floor of somebody else in a multi-story building. And let me tell you, that concrete is hard. (laughs) And so you start doing this, and now you're starting to drill, and the the impact's going, and you're really going for it, and you're drilling another hole, and you suddenly realize, you know what, this is quite a big expanse here. Am I compromising the state of this floor now? Is this neighbor going to come through the floor and be rather upset with me? And of course, no, you're not. But you know how hard it is to get rid of that thought once it's in there? (laughs) You know how hard it is to get rid of the thought of actually, in a ceiling, I have a good idea of what's going on. I actually don't know if I'm drilling into pipes here. I don't know if I'm drilling into the electrical circuit. Ah, and so I doubted myself. And here's, as I was having my choir time this week, here's what God showed me. He said to me, All of these natural experiences, Michael, are communicating to you a spiritual truth. And God has used all of these things to say something very powerful and very profound to me. And I'm sharing this with you because in the light of the season we're in, I believe that God is saying the exact same thing to you. This is what He said. More is expected of you than you first realized. Every one of those jobs, more is expected of me than I first realized. The second thing, he said, is more is expected of me than I've given before. So I thought I could go in, and this would be it, and this would be the cost. But it was more than I realized, and therefore more is going to be expected of me. And then was the clincher, he said, and more is required of you than you have to give. Wow. Not only is there more than i first realized but it's going to cost me more than i've ever given before and it's even going to cost me that which I, it's going to, it, the cost is so it's more than i even have within me to give to rise to the occasion and here's the point my failures and my inabilities point me to the help that i needed when it came to breaking the window we had to call in the window repair company to come and replace the window I couldn't do that. When it came to the varnishing, after that door, I had somebody else come and help me. At least we got through two doors in a day instead of just one. Still a work to go on the varnishing, but you call in some help when you realize the magnitude of the job. Concerning fitting the battery, well, I called out the alarm company this week. Of course, he just says, oh, you should have just lifted the cables and put it in and connected it, and then reset things. I didn't know. I was scared. Concerning the light fittings, I got an electrician in. Our good friend De Miguel came. He helped me. He fitted them all. And boy was I glad he was there, because although I fit, carried on, I fitted some lights and he fitted some lights, and I was doing everything right. When it came time to test everything, the whole thing shorted. Earth leakage just dropped. And then again, it, and I was so glad. But I want to tell you how glad I was that De Miguel was there. <laughs> this is your baby now because here, something is expected of me that I cannot give. I didn't even have the expertise. I had the expertise to fit a light. But when things went wrong with my understanding, with how I thought I could do things, I needed more. I needed that which was beyond me. And man, was I glad that was there. Man, was I glad that was there. Folks... Our failures and our inabilities. As we talk about cleaning hands and purifying hearts, when we deal with our sin, when we embrace our weaknesses, when God begins to show us things and we begin to be convinced of our depravity without Jesus and our great need for Him, those things point us to the help that we need. Our failures, our weaknesses, our inability to do things point us to the help that we need. In every one of those four cases I mentioned to you, I had to go and get the help that was needed in that situation. Spiritually, we have a very willing helper. And he is in our midst right now. His name is Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Remember, There is no move towards Christ-likeness. There is no work of genuine repentance that can take place in our hearts and lives without the help of Holy Spirit. It's impossible without Him. The truth is that we only engage in the help we need when we recognize our need for it. As long as I thought I could do it, I went about it. Spoke quite, cool, I'll come sort that out for you. Piece of cake, easy job. No, don't phone, I'll sort it out. I've got this, I've got this. I've done this before. And yet we go through life that way. We go through our day by day that way. Because we've done it before. We think we can just do it again. But when we enter into a season where more is going to be required of us, we're going to be confronted with our inability to meet that need. And we're going to have to be orientating our hearts to the help that we need. Now, if we enter that situation with the help we need, the whole thing changes. Things may go wrong. And we sit and we laugh and we rejoice and we go, Man, am I glad you are here. Because you can take care of this. Where I can't, you can. You see, we need eyes to see things from God's perspective. We need ears to hear His thoughts and a heart that will embrace and welcome His correction and his guidance. This is what we spoke about last week out of Mark 4. What are seeing eyes? What are hearing ears? It's a heart that searches after God and looks to God for his help, for his wisdom, for his opinions. You see, the Word of God will only be effective in our lives. The help of the Holy Spirit will only be effective in our lives to the degree that we engage with it, that we identify it with it, and that we follow it. Right? James says it this way, book of James 1, verses 22 to 25. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one, will be blessed in all He does. Do you see that? What am I talking about here? I'm talking about the heart orientation. I'm talking about walking that out, not just working that out. Let me read to you some other things that James says. I'm going to read James chapter 4, and I want to start with verse 7. Well, let's go with verse 6. It says this, But He gives grace, what is grace? The, I beg your pardon? Undeserved favor is a part of grace, but it's certainly not the entirety of grace. Some people... I beg your pardon? That's right. You're stealing my thunder here, Siobhan. You've heard this preached before. Grace, people often use the ac- acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's Expense. And that's a really good acronym. Because grace is, the, grace is not a force, it is a person. It is the person of Jesus. In the same way that I had my De Miguel with me when I had a problem and he could solve it for me, and we could, or he could show me how to do it, grace is the very person of Jesus right here with me, working through life, walking through life, knowing how to overcome every situation because he has already overcome every situation, and willing to lead me and guide me into victory and into healing and into the fullness of everything that he is. He says, he gives more grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. In other words, he resists those who think, I, I've got this. I can do this. But he gives grace to the humble. What is the humble one? A humble one is one who recognizes his inability. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He goes on to say, "Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. This should be one of the greatest invitations, and this should produce such great expectation in our hearts every single day, that God calls us and He says, draw near to Me, and I promise, I give You My Word, that if You draw near to Me, in sincerity of heart, I will draw near to You. That doesn't mean I just sleepily read the Bible Scripture and I tick off my reading for the day. It means that I am searching for You, God. I, I want to acknowledge and know Your presence here. Sometimes that comes with intense emotion. Sometimes that just comes with peace, with a knowing. But knowing that I've connected with God makes all the difference. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And then he says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Pause. Who is James talking to here? He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to a heathen. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Psalm 24, clean hands and a pure heart. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Boy, wow. What an encouraging letter, James. (laughs) What is he really trying to say here? He's saying, folks, you need a realization of your true spiritual condition. You need a realization of the trajectory that you are on. And when you have it, your frivolity and your laughter and your laissez-faire way of doing things is going to change and you're going to realize, man, you have lost time that you cannot get back. But he doesn't leave it there. Verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up, up to where He is. That is repentance. That is the journey. Folks, genuine love for God will cause within us a deep sorrow and even a hatred for our sin. A godly sorrow. The sorrow is born of our realization of our true state and that we need help. But this sorrow leads us somewhere. This sorrow and this pain and this, this realization points us somewhere, and it leads us, and it ends in the joy and the fulfillment of the help that we need, of receiving the help that we need. Worldly sorrow focuses on me. Worldly sorrow focuses on what I have lost. Oh, I've missed that opportunity. Worldly sorrow focuses on how I have been affected. But true godly sorrow focuses on Him. Godly sorrow focuses on what it cost Jesus. Godly sorrow focuses on what it's costing the kingdom. And this is what leads us to genuine repentance, recognizing our need and turning to Him. Jeremiah, again, 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and you will find me. Here's this invitation again, when you search for me with all your heart. Now what happened to Isaiah when he found God? He said, Woe is me. I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. But what was God? What did God do? He gave him the help that he needed. An angel took a coal and cleansed his lips and cleansed him and washed him. He said to Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow, receiving the help that I need. How? What is my role? simply reorientating my life to Jesus again and again and again. We're familiar with this scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. I want you to catch something this morning. It does not say, seek ye only the kingdom of God. See, most of us, when we read the scripture, we go, okay, I've got to you know, just lay everything aside and I need to become a pastor or I need to... no, no. It doesn't say, seek only the kingdom of God. You and I have other pursuits. This kind of scripture generally brings some guilt on us, going, oh, but um, you know, what about work, and what about my family, and what about my children, and what about these other things that I also enjoy? Are they evil? Are they sin? No, God is in those. God is with you in those, and He takes great delight in your family, and in your occupation, and your work, and your productivity. It takes great delight in your children, and, and in your fellowship, and in your spiritual family. But His command remains the same. Those things are all good, and I want you to go after those things. Seek those things. Enjoy. Have a good life. But seek first. The most important, above all others, the highest priority, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'm going to close with an example from Scripture of somebody who embodied this. The book of Acts chapter 10 talks about the story of a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is significant in the Bible because he is the first Gentile recorded to have been born again. And God made a way for Cornelius, and we're going to see why. Uh, Peter is praying on, on, on a rooftop. And God gives him this incredible vision of a white sheet and all kinds of animals falling into it. And he says, there's clean animals in there and, 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 and unclean animals. The Jewish people were allowed to eat of some animals and not of others. And there's clean and unclean animals. And God says, eat. And he says, I can't eat because there's unclean things there. And God says, do not call unclean that which I have called clean. And he, he begins dealing with Peter's heart and his own prejudices. Peter had a revelation. And then God says, I'm going to send somebody to fetch you go with them to the man Cornelius' home. And I want to pick up towards the end of the story in verse 30 of chapter 10. It says, So Cornelius says, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. What was Cornelius doing? Fasting. Why was he fasting? The Bible tells us right in the beginning of the chapter, Cornelius was a devout man who loved God and gave alms generously. So he was a generous man, but he was a man who was pursuing God. He was seeking his face. And so he says here, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, Atana, by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you, So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you by God. This man's heart pursuit of God caused God to arrest one of his apostles to come and personally minister to this man. And the story goes that as they were there sharing in the house concerning the things of God, the Spirit fell upon them. And how did they know? Because Cornelius and his whole household began praying in tongues. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And Peter and the guys with him were shocked and amazed because these were Gentiles. These were Gentiles. These were not covenant people. And God was like, yeah, that was the last chapter. This is a new one. I'm doing something new here, Peter, and you guys need to catch up. Folks, God is doing something new here. And we're going to need to catch up. More is going to be expected of you and I than we realized. More is going to be expected of you and I than we have given before. And the truth is also, more is going to be expected of you and I than we are able to do on our own. We need the power and the presence and the fullness of Holy Spirit. We need a fresh baptism of Holy Spirit power. What is it going to cost us? More than we've given before. You see, Cornelius positioned himself in a place of fasting and prayer to seek The voice or seek God, to seek the truth of God. Fasting helps us shut out every other voice so that we can focus on the voice of the Holy Spirit. Fasting says to every idol that is known and unknown, I'm putting all of you aside right now for a single pursuit. Fasting says, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. And fasting is an essential discipline for you and I in dealing with the strength of the flesh in the life of the believer. Actually, I just realized something. That revelation, an analogy that I've shared with you today, that happened with me while I was sitting in that chair on Wednesday, the day that I'd given myself fasting this week. <laughs> How cool is that? It bears witness to what I'm saying. That when my time of fasting and seeking God, He used the past few months' instances to speak something to me very pointed, very clearly that has changed my focus, that has helped me see things a little bit more clearly. I want to encourage you folks. God does not need, your, need convincing of your state. God needs your yieldedness so that He can show you the truth of your state. God is wanting to reveal to you and I the truth of our spiritual condition, our need for Jesus, our depravity without Him, and just how much He loves you and how abundant His grace is for you. If you seek me, you will find me, Jeremiah says, but you need to search for me with all your heart. Those who are hungry will come. Those who are dissatisfied with God will find somewhere else to fulfill themselves. Let's turn our hearts, church. Let's hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to us. This is not altar call kind of stuff. This is not where I'm going to call you here it's not that kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about time that you're going to... Make. Maybe, folks, maybe. Maybe you need to actually take two or three days' leave. Book it in. Why does leave have to only be reserved for pleasure? Take some time off, out of the office, and separate yourself. If you have leave, take some. If you've never done that before, just start with one day. So today, I'm going to Fast. I'm going to wait on you, God. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to give myself over to nothing else but the pursuit of you, not even eating. Take some water with you, that'll help. And Seek His face. And see what God will say to you. See how the Spirit of God will come upon you. See what life begins to flow and bubble up from within you. Because there's new things coming. Would you stand with me, please? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.